0: Good afternoon. This is the Lou Rockwell Show, and how great to have as our guest today, Professor Michael Werchtenwald. Mike, uh, you were a very important professor at NYU, professor of liberal studies, professor of global liberal studies. You taught at Duke University and other universities. And um, all of a sudden, you were, in effect, forced out of the university, or at least your life made very miserable by your fellow faculty members and by the left-wing students. Uh, Tell us what happened and how that all came about.
1: Yeah, I would say that yeah, I would say that my life became completely uh, yeah. untenable due to the hostility and uh, the way I was completely uh, marginalized and uh, driven out of the department that I worked in. I I started a Twitter account called anti pc nyu prof. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was anonymous at first. Uh, I started tweeting about, you know, the it was 2016, and NYU had just uh, introduced a new uh, technique or technology called the bias reporting hotline, which encouraged students and faculty, and uh, but especially students, to report on faculty or each other if uh, somebody committed a quote-unquote bias infraction or microaggression. Uh, never was any of this defined, uh, not even bias. Uh, but once you reported this, it was sent to a, a biased response team who adjudicated behind closed doors uh, whatever this infraction might be. Uh, they also were pressing on um, put, uh, the um, what they call the trigger warnings uh, in to put those on syllabi so that you know, if there was something on a, on a, on a syllabi that you were going to study that might be uh, emotionally or otherwise triggering to a student's, you're supposed to list that. Uh, uh, there was the, the institution of safe spaces, the whole thing, and it was just just getting crazy. There was no platforming; they were driving speakers off campuses. This started earlier, but you know, at NYU, it just uh, it had just occurred with Milo Yiannopoulos, who was driven off campus because uh, somebody might walk past the room and hear what he was saying that might trigger them. So <laughs> it looked like to me, and I think I was prescient in this. To me, it looked like we were starting to institute a Stasi state in the university system Mm -hmm. and that it was getting completed through all these different uh, techne or technologies. This was becoming a surveillance state. And uh, furthermore, it was getting extremely illiberal. So I started to comment about all this and uh, on there, and somebody from the New York University Student Newspaper contacted me and said if I asked me if I was really an NYU professor, and if so, would I mind doing an interview? And I, I said, I'll do the interview. I'm not sure I'll go on the record. After I did the interview, to my estimation, I had said nothing uh, obscene or, you know, otherwise like objectionable or deplorable. I had made a criticism of these things and the social justice warriors and the way that their, their ideology was now becoming official Mm-hmm. in university uh, policy. They were dominating the entire policy of the university, and uh, this was going on everywhere. As it turned out, that year turned into a complete craziness. You know, by the end of the, uh, the semester in the spring of 2017, they were burning down the campus at, at Berkeley. I mean, this, this just progressed. Evergreen took place also. I was ahead of the curve, I think, and they were calling me crazy because I was seeing things that they didn't see, because they didn't pay attention. Part, partly, uh, they were very provincial in their outlook. Some of the people. But I got um, I got attacked within two days of that interview appearing. I was uh, called into the dean's office, and uh, lo and behold, the head of uh, human resources for the division of the college was also suddenly uh, what suddenly appeared. I didn't know that she would be there, and they started. Basically, this thing where they started suggesting that, you know, that I was there was something wrong with me, that I must be mentally ill, that people were worried about me uh, and they were worried about my mental health. And I was like, what is what are you talking about? This is just a ruse to try to drive me out of the out of the campus. And oh, no, no, no. We assure you that it's not. They strong armed me into a leave of absence. Now, people say, well, you didn't have to do it. And why didn't you tape it and all this? Well, I didn't, you know. I really didn't have the – I wasn't prophetic enough to think about taping it. I, I didn't know what was going to happen in there. I didn't think it had – he said, oh, first of all, he started off by saying, I want you to know this discussion has nothing to do with your Twitter account or the recent publicity you've been getting over it. I said, <laughs> yeah. oh. And then it struck me as complete, a complete fabrication because usually when somebody says something like that, it's quite the, the opposite. It's, it's The opposite is mm-hmm. the case because it's usually – why they're saying it. So, you know, I I was up for promotion to full professor and it was long delayed the decision. It was stringing out since April. This was now October and they still hadn't made their decisions. And that was a big deal to me. Uh, I was set to get an, uh, an increase in rank from assistant to full professor in one fell swoop. So, That on the line and the the pressure and everything else, it's it's insinuated to me that I better do it. So I took the leave and then lo and behold, that same day after I had uh, accepted the leave, this uh, open letter by this committee established just that fall called the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Group slammed me in a open letter calling me guilty for the structure of my thinking and in oh by the way they called me in civil which is ironic in light of what they they and their mobs would do later in terms of the la- uh, language they would use on me which i had by the way never criticized an individual uh, they said i was guilty of ad hominem attacks i never mentioned a person by name so apparently they didn't know what at home meant they were just utterly completely crazy and they said i was a uh, guilt uh, uh, guilty for the structure of my thinking i.e uh, it was a thought criminal, and uh, they were suggesting that um, that I was low on the moral hierarchy, but it wasn't because I was a white, straight male. <laughs> <laughs> so I went on the paid leave. When I got back, I was completely shunned. We had, a, we had a, over like 100 faculty members full-time in our department. Mm-hmm. Every one of them shunned me. Not only that, by the end of the semester, I got this... The series of emails came out of the blue, uninitiated by me by any stretch. I didn't say anything to anybody. They started attacking me, and then it just it grew into like a snowball where there was like five or six people just blistering attacks, calling me everything from alt-right to Satan to the Nazi to a, a, a short-pants white devil, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> and um and just going on and on i mean full caps screaming stuff and i never i never stooped to their level i never used any epithets towards them oh they were calling me a sexist and a and a, and a racist wow they pelted me with racism and sexist uh, language you know so it's very typical there's something wrong with the, the the mentality of these people in terms of their projection and so forth so i just answered them very very calmly and said you know this is a uh, this is non war- unwarranted, and uh, I, you know it's completely uh, off base. And I'm not I'm not addressing these crazy uh, slurs. There's absolutely no basis, in fact, for any of it. I'd never express anything of the sort. So uh, they moved me to the Russian department after that, <laughs> which was a supreme poetic irony because. <laughs> what the, the Russian de, uh, collusion delusion was under uh, full effect. <laughs> and uh, I got there and it was like I had been moved in my own personal gulag. Uh, the office was like <laughs> was like barren, no books, because they refused to move my books, which was almost a, a mile away. So I couldn't do it myself and I, there were too many. And I had lived in there with like empty metal bookshelves, no sign on the door, no access to any, uh, sec, you know, secretary or other services. I couldn't even print something. Hmm. I had no access to the printer. Nothing. Couldn't copy anything. I had no account, nothing. I was completely, completely isolated and stuck in a corner. And then the hostility all around was just insane. So I sued those, uh, those, uh, that batch of people that, uh, had slandered me, libeled me. And, uh, my attorneys were con on a contingency basis they could not really overcome the uh the the motion to dismiss because they had an army of uh lawyers stacked up against us and just came up with all these absurd hurdles so they just couldn't answer it and, and uh so but nevertheless I, I ended up negotiating a um an exit and uh it wasn't the greatest but it, it was better than being there actually um uh, so that's basically how it goes so uh, what's to be drawn from that we could talk about
0: well michael the, one thing that's happened as a result of what happened to you are the uh, two books that you've written most recently springtime for snowflakes social justice and its postmodern parentage and then uh, your most re- recent book which has to be one of the great titles ever the google archipelago the digital gulag and the simulation of freedom so this this uh, this book, I think especially, is accurate in describing the situation that we're all in—not just right. uh, you as a professor at NYU, but uh, really uh, we're, we're all at risk from it. And talk to us about the Google Archipelago, if you would.
1: Yeah, sure. And uh, I'll explain how I, you know, segued from uh, the Springtime for Snowflakes book, which was a examination of my own. Uh, situation that i just referred to and also i went and deep dive into the roots of social justice and i found that this ideology actually is the same one that permeates the entire cyberspace Uh, that in fact uh, google and facebook the whole basically what i call big digital they're all operating uh with the same ethos and the same Mm -hmm. what what i think is a leftist authoritarianism and they're Policing out uh, of the, in, you know, the cy- cyberspace in the same way that the university was policing, you know, aberrant or deviant or dissident language and statements. And so the, the same authoritarianism I saw operating and and then I was vindicated because in the middle of writing the book, the uh, Google uh, Whistleblowers Act for came out and showed all this documentation and everything verified exactly what I was saying. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they're biased, they're, they're steering, they're manipulating data, they're, uh, you know, there's all this uh, shaming and silencing and disappearing of different people based on their uh, having the wrong uh, viewpoint. And I don't mean just so-called supremacy, but anything that really isn't uh, leftist gets downgraded, blacklisted, you know, deranked, uh, debunked. All, all these things are happening. And I could get into the technology and the details in terms of how they're doing it coding-wise. But uh, it seemed to me that what what is happening is the same thing. It's kind of a, what I call a digital gulag, as the subtitle suggests. There is a, a gulag system in a sense that as the gulag served as a place to disappear dissidents, as it served as a surveillance system, as it served as a punitive system, as it served as a um, – as a disciplinary censorship system, system of censorship. So indeed the Google archipelago of which Google is the main emblem, but not the entirety serves to do the same in cyberspace. And furthermore, because uh, the digital realm has become the most, the basic forum or venue for any kind of uh, meaningful efficacious discourse, uh, or argumentation or anything presentation or self-presentation and social existence almost uh they have made it such that everything else is m- basically irrelevant you know you don't go stand on a corner on a soapbox in a park anymore unless you want to be a, a, called a lunatic there's no public square elsewhere so based for the most part so it is effectively a a, a statist apparatus uh and without having the obligations of the state in some cases as supposedly in the united states which of course is contradicted anyway but nevertheless at least on paper suggesting that we have certain rights this does not apply to google or facebook or twitter or any of the digital giants they they have complete as, as as private corporations putatively they have complete and total You know, they have no obligation to follow any of uh, the First Amendment or allow free speech or or free expression at all. So that's basically the uh, the idea, and I go into like uh, the what I think are the politics of uh, of the whole apparatus and what they're after and what what kind of objectives they're they're really striving for. And I think everything is pretty clear. It's an some of it is speculative and it's an extrapolation from where they are, but Nevertheless, you know, with the existence of these smart cities in China, there's 50 of them at least. They're spreading to the West. It's been adopted in some cities like uh, Darwin, Australia. And there's uh, a huge consortium in, in uh, Europe that's going to implement the same things there. We're, we're talking about a digital surveillance system. That will not be just on the internet, but will be everywhere. It'll be ambient. That is, you'll be in the internet, in effect, because your da- everything will become data. Your personal, uh, your personal self, your 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 corporal selfhood will have a digital signature that can be tracked. That is, every move uh, would be uh, known, basically, and in fact, inside the house, if the uh, internet of things becomes as
0: uh, ubiquitous as uh, proposed. That's basically the idea. Michael, is there anything to be done about it? Or are we all just doomed to, uh, this is our future?
1: No, I, I mean, I would never uh, write a book that I thought was a, a fait accompli if, the, if the, uh, there was no hope. and In fact, the book is, is meant to be premonitory and to to give us a warning and to suggest, listen, we have to counter this because the the, the, the problem is that the, the narrativity of the digital realm in connection with mass media, the possibility is for them to completely control all narratives and, or then, you know, the master narrative, if you will, and t- to make others basically either considered crazy or else just completely gone. So the main the main task as i see it first besides legal mechanisms that might be undertaken and so forth is to counter these narratives strenuously uh because the only way that uh they're going to be subject to skepticism and criticism and uh and so forth is by virtue of countering them with better narratives that is more truth-based narratives than they are using. And, and a good deal of that is already going on. Yes, I agree. It is. And unfortunately, like today, for example, YouTube put into effect new rules, new user rules that are going to even be more censorious and censoring than the previous set. They have uh, widened the scope of what they're calling harm. So anything that they deem as harmful can be banned. Uh, anything that they deemed to be hateful can be is banned now. Is it, here's an interesting thing that I think your listeners will especially under, relate to. YouTube's hate uh, speech or rules have a list of the categories that that can't be denigrated or you know the persons can't be denigrated in those categories. I agree with the categories. The only thing missing is class. Hmm. In other words, there's no mention of the possi- of the great fact that the greatest political tyranny and uh, destruction and, and uh, horror has been perpetrated by people not in the name of supremacy, but in the name of equality. That's right. These are the people that are most dangerous, and they have been historically the most dangerous. They killed more people. Now, I, I, I agree that the, the, the premise of, of their murder was maybe different, but they killed 100 million people, as the Black Book of Communism makes clear. And they also imprisoned a hell of a lot more. So I mean this is amazing that this leftist uh, totalitarianism is never criticized and they're never held accountable so you they say that you can't for example deny you know mass murders nevertheless they have you try you go over and search on YouTube and you see that there are numerous maoist groups that are apologizing for mao and saying that the uh, claims of mao's uh, mass murders and uh, whether you know through famine or otherwise and, are false. And there's all kind of promotion of Maoism all over the place. No problem there. They don't bother them at all. So that's very curious, I
0: think. No, and the same is true with Stalin's crimes. I mean, there are uh, scholars at Yale and other places who say that this is all a uh, pretty much a myth that uh, uh, his people murdered quite as many as they did.
1: Yes. So that makes me wonder, like, I was a leftist, and I, I was under the leftist ideology, so I understand kind of like from the inside out exactly how it works, and in terms of uh, what the subject of that ideology thinks and how they think of things. Um, and one of the main reason, one of the main premises of uh, leftism is that the leftist is always the underdog, is always downtrodden, is always cast out, is always marginalized, is always debased, is always. You know, suppressed and oppressed and so forth. But the interesting fact is, as you just noted, major universities in this country house thousands of Marxist scholars Mm -hmm. who are not only not denigrated as they would if they were Nazis, which they should be if they were, but are celebrated. And and incredibly, there's no criticism of this, in fact. So leftism not only is not downtrodden or, or marginalized, it's the dominant ideology. So that, that's, part of the, that's one of the premises of the book as well.
0: Well, it's, you know it, it's, it sounds tremendous. I mean, it sounds like, uh, I, I don't have my copy yet, but uh, it sounds like a book we all af- absolutely need to read. Thank you. I think it does a good uh, job. There's a couple chapters in there that might throw the
1: readers off. It's a, I have a fictional interlude in the middle of the book, which traces a, a fictional um, Soviet defector, uh, who had been imprisoned in the gulag and becomes uh u s moves to the u s ends up moving to what becomes Silicon Valley and ends up in the digital gulag <laughs> after escaping the Soviet system so anyway, that's just a little bit of a what i what I do that for and uh, and I try to explain this in the intro is to give people the sense that we're not talking about something. It can be conveyed strictly through
0: argumentation it's experiential so i give
1: i try to give a sense of the experience of this through this up through this fictional character
0: michael you're you're tremendous you're a hero i mean there are, are a, I, a lot of people and I know s- some people that this has happened to have had uh maybe not as bad but similar experiences at universities that you went through, and it sort of uh, wrecked them i mean they just weren't able to work afterwards and they uh that was sort of the end of their life they're still alive but i mean they're not that's sort of the end of their intellectual life uh you fought back and fought back you know very uh just tremendously effectively and uh we all owe you a debt of gratitude everybody who is worried about what's going on everybody who maybe has been a victim of it we all are very grateful to you
1: thank you very much lou i really appreciate it because it you know well, I haven't been destroyed, and I will not be silenced. And I don't believe that the, the academy is the, centru- the only you know, exclusive uh, uh, domain for intellectual uh, and historical and other inquiry. In fact, I think it's becoming irrelevant and insane. Yes, yep, yeah. uh, It is difficult. I mean, it is a struggle because, you know— the university system has a lock on so-called authority and a lock on so-called you know, credibility so it is very difficult to fight about you know to it is difficult to wage and mount uh, uh, an intellectual uh, life uh outside of it uh you know you know especially when you become used to it so i'm a free market intellectual and, and i'm working as a, a public intellectual who's Supporting himself and and that's fine. I I, I want to do that, but I, I rely on the market and I appreciate things like this because, uh, it isn't easy. There's no. I'm not on a sinecure anymore. No, no, I'm no I, longer, I know. Uh, It's it's very interesting, and I'm I'm glad because I'm liberated to to be. You know, I'm 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 discovering things that you know basically you can't see in the university. You just can't see it. You're not allowed to see it. For example, I'm doing a, I'm starting a study on the connection between socialism and fascism, and it's very close. I mean, these are kindred things. It, it's completely denied by the left, and uh, these collectivists are very, very much hand in glove. And it, you know, it's incredible the similarities. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So I'm doing that kind of work, and I'm thinking of, uh, of, of mounting a study of you know leftism in the you know that cuts across all of the different disciplines and all outside of the university as well that studies uh the the, the contradictions between the various schools of leftism and and inside of the left what they're denying and so on and so forth so um, i'm 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 trying to mount you know a really comprehensive study of this
0: michael it's it's tremendous and uh, i want to highly recommend your Especially, you're you're the author of nine books but I want to recommend especially the last two that is a uh, springtime for snowflakes and um, the 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 uh, the one that I think is again one of the great titles I've I've ever seen the Google archipelago thank you so Michael thanks for coming on the show today and thanks for all you do and I I didn't mean to imply that you were having an easy time because I know you're not having an easy time but yeah. uh, you're courageous and you're a fighter and uh, that's what we need. Uh, we need many more people like you, and, but thank God we have you.
1: Thank you so much, Lou. It's great to talk to you,
0: and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, thanks so much for listening to The Lou Rockwell Show today. Take a look at all the podcasts. There have been hundreds of them. There's a link on the LRC front page. Thank you.